Love those bumps, man. They always get me fired up. Welcome to Foothills. If you're visiting on campus or you've been coming over the last few weeks or month and you're new, we're just glad that you're here. If you're watching for the first time or joining us for the first time, we are glad you are here. Just let you know, Foothills is a church where we want to challenge you to think for yourself. We want you to go deeper. We want you to uh, be stronger, uh, better, wiser, more mature. We call this growth the process of discipleship. One of the ways you do that is by finding and doing your ministry. The unique thing that God wants to do through you is a major way in which you grow. So our food pantry and our clothing closet, uh, if you're on campus... You can go right after this service out into the atrium, and the people who are leading there have tables set up. You get some more information. If you'd like to serve or pursue your faith through service, that is a great way to do it, okay? Now, this new series is going to start off with the whole notion that the world in which we are living right now is a frightening place. Uh, I have just kind of a, a montage of things that have been happening in the headlines over the last few months uh, or few years. You know, uh, Americans have been facing a lot of domestic things at home, right? And these dominated our attention, particularly the COVID-19 stuff. And then all of the economic difficulties coming out from that. Then we have this Ukrainian war and a lot of our resources are going there. And we're like, well, what's going on there? We've had mass shootings, which are always heartbreaking and very disconcerting. And then this international stuff that burst on the scene, this attack in Israel, all of these things are very disconcerting and they burst onto our attention. And when a terrorist organization by the name of Hamas, uh, who seized control of a uh, free state in 2005, commits some of the most uh, egregious acts of brutality on the nation of Israel. And when that happens, it seems like the world is a really unsafe place. When you add all this stuff up, is it any wonder that we're a little bit on edge, that we have a lot of questions about life. You get the impression that nothing is going right. And if you're a parent, you're like, what kind of world is my kids going to grow up in? If you're a grandparent, you're thinking, what is the world going to be like for my grandkids or my great grandkids? So the bottom line is that this uh, entire series is to try to address the issues in our world today that can kind of create fear or anxiety or insecurity in our lives. <clears throat> We're going to call it Kingdom Come. And the point and purpose of this series is to give clarity in the midst of confusion. It's to give hope in the midst of all of these events that are, you know, bring despair. It is to give us strength in the face of that which causes us weakness. And most importantly, this series is about courage, where it comes from, and how we live in it. So I want to start with some questions, I think, that a lot of people who are not all in on God or follow Christ, they have questions. And here are some of the questions that they ask. And you might be a follower of Christ, and you've wondered about these questions. So let's start that. And here's some basic questions. If God is so powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is a God of peace 
then why is there so much war in this world? If God is a God of love, then why is there so much hate in this world? And if God is a God of justice, then why is there so much injustice in this world? Well, at risk of being overly simplistic, the answer is not complex. The reason why is because there's two kingdoms and these kingdoms are at war. There are two kingdoms and the kingdoms are at war. God's love, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's power, God's peace doesn't reign over both kingdoms yet. If you read the book of Revelation, you realize it reigns over everything. But between now and then, God's kingdom does not reign over this other kingdom completely. This is why in Matthew chapter 6, where uh, people ask Jesus how to pray, Jesus says, pray this way. In the first thing he prays after he gives honor to the name of God is what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen to this, on earth as it already is in heaven. So you and I are praying, right? So that the kingdom of God is spreading out here on earth. Now, whether you know it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, the reality is there is a spiritual war occurring in the heavenly realms every single day that we live. And this war spills over into the material world every single day, meaning it spills over into your life every single day. So let's get into the Bible and let's study it and see what it says. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start with uh, verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 18, all in one shot, okay? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness. Now, notice what he says there real quick. He says, our struggle is against world forces. So these are spiritual forces at work in the world where you and I live every single day, as well as, listen to this, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, well, what's going on in the heavenly places? Well, there's a battle going on there. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, 
be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. And that means you and I. Uh, that's a Greek word, hagiahumo, which means holy people, those who've been uh, redeemed by the blood of Christ. So I want to go back in here and dig through these a little bit. And I want to go back to verse 10 where he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This whole spiritual battle that's going on that spills over into our life on a daily basis has a purpose. And in this battle, in this war, this spiritual war that's going on, strength is the goal. Okay? Defeat is not the goal. Strength is the goal. And we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. Uh, one translation says the mighty power of God. So what is strength in this spiritual battle that you and I are in? Spirit, uh, strength is clarity, right? It's clarity. It's conviction, right? And control, you know, whenever you possess power in your hands, guess what? Control is the key, right? Whether you're riding a horse, you know, an 1,800-pound monstrosity, right, with the brain the size of a pea, you've got to have control, right? If you're working with electricity, electricity does all this wonderful stuff for us, right? But, you know, if you dig into that panel when it's live, you might get an instant perm, whether you want one or not right? When, when you're flying an airplane, you know, airplanes are amazingly fast to get from A to B. They can fly 400, 500 miles per hour, but there's a whole lot of control you need to exert over that thing. If you're paddling whitewater, you know, these rivers with these class three, four, and sometimes five rapids, and, and they get in these little tiny plastic kayaks. Those guys are an incredible, through training and control, get through it. But you know what? The one thing you really need to have control over whenever you handle it is a weapon, right? Now, uh, when I was in high school and then my first year in college, it wasn't very long ago, but this is when Kung Fu movies came out, you know. And so one of the things that uh, Bruce Lee did in the Kung Fu movies, you know, is he had this pair of thing called nunchucks, right? And what the nunchucks were, were there two pieces of wood hooked together with a chain. And so every guy I knew had a pair of nunchucks. They either made one or they bought one. And you would, you would sw swing this thing over your shoulder, you know, and you'd swing it around your waist and you'd do it over there. And so for approximately two and a half years, every friend of mine walked around with a knot on his forehead <laughs> from whacking himself in the head with this thing. And it was almost, you know, like today, you know, tattoos are kind of cool. And people are like, oh, man, what's your tat or whatever. Back then, it was the goose egg on your forehead from your nunchucks, right? You're kind of like, I got two, man, both sides, you know, right there. So that's just a small illustration of you better have control when you handle a weapon, whether it be a knife, whether it be a sword or a gun in particular, you know, you have to have a lot of control, a lot of training. Now, in this spiritual war, it's really important to understand that you have been given weapons. And these weapons are very 
powerful, okay? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, it says the following, uh, for though we, verse 3, we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, listen to this, they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And most people never hear this verse, but I want you to hear the next verse, verse six. And he says this, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So he's saying, look, our weapons are divinely powerful. They're divinely powerful to destroy speculations and everything, lofty thing raised up to the knowledge of God. And we're going to punish the things, the ideas, the concepts, and in, even individuals who are disobedient to the knowledge of God. Do you ever hear that in, in churches in America anymore? We, we often don't hear that, and then we wonder why Christianity is losing ground and seems so weak and anemic in our culture. But what's so powerful is in that passage of Scripture, he says, you have a very powerful weapon in this spiritual war, and that requires you to learn control. And that means training, right? Control requires training. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. That's why we say here Foothills is different. Fluff is not enough. We want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And I can't tell you what to believe. See, this is really important to understand. I can't tell you what to believe, right? I can tell you the best way to come to it, the options on the table, but at some point you have to exercise your own mind and you have to make your own decision and say, this is what I believe, okay? And that's critically important. You need to be trained in moral judgment. How do you know what's right and wrong? How, do, how can you tell? You know, there's a phrase out there that says, oh, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Okay, that's a really nice, bland moral equivocation. Is there a way to tell the difference? Is there a difference between the two? Absolutely there is. How do you know? How do you know? Well, if you've not been trained in moral judgment, that's difficult. And sadly is that in our society today, the only moral training that people have received in our culture is that there is no moral superiority over one choice or another. It's all the same. Do whatever you want, live your own truth. And we wonder why there's so many morally bad things happening in our culture. C.S. Lewis used to say this, is we deride honor, we insult honor, we criticize honor, and then we walk around wondering why there are betrayers in our midst. Control requires training, and you have a weapon in this war, but you need to understand, 
how to make moral judgments, what you believe and why you believe it. You need to understand logic and rational thinking. Here's one for you. What is more rational to say? There is a God or there isn't a God? You think about it. Because your answer to that question will tell you whether you're a rational person or not. And today, the majority of philosophers out there say it is more irrational to say there is no God than it is to say there is a God. Wow, that's a turn of events. So our battle is first and foremost, above all else, spiritual in nature. You remember where he says it's not against flesh and blood. He says it there in Ephesians passage. He says it in the second Corinthians passage, you know, it is first and foremost a spiritual battle. And the unfortunate truth, this is what's hard to understand, I think. The unfortunate truth is that in America, we've been taught and enculturated to believe that Christianity is simply what? A struggle to do the right thing. It's just a moral battle. It's not a propositional truth, ideological, spiritual battle. So the worst thing that you can be in modern American Christianity is what? A hypocrite, right? You can say, oh, I believe in this, but boy, you know, you can say, I always believe that you should say the right thing at the right time to help people. Oh, that's, that's an awesome value, you know? But if you're driving and somebody cuts off and you make a comment about their parentage or something of that nature, you're now a hypocrite and you're not a good Christian. Is that really what Christianity is? And I've said this many, many times for those of you who've been around at Foothills a long time, is that Christianity is not primarily a moralistic struggle, right? It is a spiritual battle. It influences your moral life but it's a spiritual propositional truth battle. And when we forget that, we lose. You, you can be the most moral person, but if you're weak spiritually, you're going to get crushed. If you're, you can be very strong physically, but if you're weak spiritually, you're going to get crushed. How do we know that? Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. I'm sorry, Matthew 12. In Matthew chapter 12, he, he talks about, um, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, is how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? And what he's saying is that I have authority over all of this stuff. And then what happens is he is casting out some demons, and the Pharisees see this. Now, you have to understand, when you're casting a demon out of somebody, you are doing battle in the spiritual realm, Right? I mean, that's a spiritual battle. And Jesus is doing it with ease. He's saying, ah, I got all the power here. This is not an issue for me. And so what happens is he says, you cast this demon out. And so the Pharisees look at him and go, well, you're doing that by Satan. You know, you're Satan. Satan, Satan's brother, you're doing it that way. That's my interpretation of how they did it. So we call that uh, creative license. Okay. He says, all, in verse 23, all of the multitudes were amazed. And the Pharisees heard, they, heard this. They, he says, he, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Notice how they make a statement. 
uh, by the authority of demonic forces and spirits. In verse 25, so knowing their thoughts, Jesus says to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? See, there's two kingdoms. They're at war, right? Look at what he goes on to say. And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So he's saying, what kingdom are you, what authority do you have to cast out demons? He goes, consequently, your sons will be your judges. He goes, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, and here's the nuclear bomb, and I want you to just feel the weight of this. Jesus says, but if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, the boss man is in your midst. And don't you ever forget it. The kingdom of God has come upon you. This is about power and authority. And then look at what Jesus says. This is a perfect thing about there are two kingdoms at war, right? There's the kingdom in heaven where God's will reign supreme. And then what happens is Jesus comes to earth. So he comes into this other kingdom where Satan has been given authority. And he says, I am here to kick your posterior. I am here to take authority over everything that you claim you have authority. How do we know it? Listen to what he says. List. He goes, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. Jesus said, I came here into this kingdom to plunder Satan's house. And what does Satan want to hold on to more than anything else? Jelly beans? No. Porsches? No. What does Satan want more than anything else in his kingdom? Your soul. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the person, the one who can hurt your body or insult yourself. Be fearful of the one who can take your soul the one who can kill your soul. So, I mean, this is powerful stuff he's talking about. We are in this battle and it is about power and authority. And you've been given divine weapons to fight it. And the whole point is, is that you would be strong. So gear up. You can't come to Christ in salvation and then not learn how to protect yourself with the armor of God. The whole point of journeying with Jesus throughout this life is to put on the armor of God, to learn how to fight this fight in this kingdom. Because the fight happens first and foremost in your own heart, right? It's the battleground of your soul, okay? And so you're trying to win there. So you got to gear up for that. You got to be trained up in righteousness. You got to understand how the weapons that are at your disposal and how to use those weapons to win. And what does John the Apostle say at the very end of his ministry or life here on earth? He says, you, you are meant to overcome the world. The kingdom of this world, you are meant to win. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. 
Man, it is time to get geared up. You have to understand then where to fight the battle, okay? You don't have to be a theologian, a philosopher, or a nuclear physicist to understand where the real battle is being fought. You see, part of Satan's tactic is to make it so complex, so convoluted, so complicated that we get confused where we're supposed to fight this battle, but it's really not. This is where we get really salty. I want to say a few things to you first before I leap off into the abyss. That is, is that my process is I pick the passages of scriptures months in advance, right? Spend time in prayer, talk to the staff, talk to the elders. What are the spiritual issues? So these passages that we're preaching on, that I'm, that I'm preaching on now, were picked months and months and months ago prior to all of this stuff that's happening prior before October 7th when this attack happened on Israel, okay? Then what happens is you get to the point and you start digging into it and digging into it. And the first step is you always have to understand what the Bible says first. That's the first thing that you should do. So what exactly does it mean? What is a biblical principle? So if you listen to the Salty Pastor, we spend, you know, 30 minutes just on that alone, and then we apply it. And sometimes, you know, I'm just like, you have to be careful where to apply it. And sometimes I'm just like, okay, God, where does this apply? And sometimes he says it applies here. And I go, are you sure? You know, I mean, can't we talk about puppy dogs and kittens and things that are happy? But uh, when you do what I do and in the way you do it, sometimes I don't have the luxury other than just saying, this is the truth, okay? And this is the truth. No one cares about ideology, Nobody cares about it until it blows up in your face. Nobody cares about, you know, philosophy and what's really true or not until it blows up in your face, right? Then people sit back and go, how in the world did this happen? It was shocking to see what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th. What is even more shocking is how they videotaped their own brutality and then broadcast it on social media. There's no denial there. There's no, yeah, oh, that's not true that we killed those babies and chopped their heads off. There's nothing more evil than that type of brutality. But you know what shocks me more than all of that? Because I've understood the spiritual battle and how it spills over into our world each and every day for a long time. But what has really shocked me more than anything else is that the people who took the streets in the United States of America, in our capital, and on our universities, who are praising and defending their brutality. They are celebrating their evil. And yesterday, you may not have heard this, in Washington, D.C., they climbed up on the statues of our founders and they defaced them with their terrorist propaganda. People look back and go, oh my goodness, how in the world did we get here? It's no secret. Nobody cares about ideology until it blows up in your face. And then bam! It's a wake-up call. The battlefield, spiritually, is always ideology first. 
When you look back at Russia and what Russia did in the Bolshevik Revolution, and you actually read the history and how were they able to do what they did, and when you read uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago and realize the overt evil of communism, I mean, you read just half of that book and you go, I had no idea how evil and corrupt this was, and it's absolute disregard for any value of human life. They got there because of ideology first. That's exactly where they got there. They got there because they believed in a racist, misogynistic, vile human being by the name of Karl Marx. If the battlefield is always ideology first, that's why I'm always saying what you believe is the most important thing about you. What you believe is the most important thing about you. And we are in a spiritual war and you are in this battlefield and you're a part of the kingdom of God. So be trained. If you're not a part of the kingdom, if you're a, a progressive leftist ideological person, that causes you to be in support of certain things. That ideology is driven by the simple thing is that all people are part of groups and these groups are on a hierarchical structure. There's always oppressors and the oppressed. And the whole, this is where the whole, how they interact with each other is called intersectionality. That's what's the primary doctrine that is taught on all university campuses, public and private today, well over 90%. If you're a part of this ideology, that means that there are no innocent people in a group if that group has been deemed or labeled as oppressive. And that's why people can march in the streets today celebrating in America the brutal terrorist murder of babies and children. This ideology also teaches that you must cancel or stop anybody with an opposing viewpoint because it might undermine your own. Here's where, here's where it gets really hard. I don't know if you've been to church where your pastor brings his Koran with him. But I got one, and I, because, you know, I said, I, I, I need to know this ideology, and I don't want what some Western professor is telling me. I want to know. So I bought, this is a classic. This is considered the best English translation of the Quran that was written in the 16th century. So this thing, this, this translation is over 500 years, 400 years old. So, so I've read it, and I've read it numerous times, and you can see I, I dog ear and do all this kind of stuff, because I, I want to understand that the Quran is about maybe about a quarter of the size of the Bible, so it's not really long. And if you believe in the Quran, then there are certain things that are justified, even expected as a follower of Islam. In, in Surah 929, it says this, you must fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden, which hath been forbidden by Allah and his prophet, or acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves utterly subdued. This is their primary source text. So 
when you follow this, this is their command. When you follow this, it says what? It says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You cannot reconcile those together. It's impossible. It's oil and water, okay? In chapter, in Surah 5, let me pop over here. I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg here. In in Surah 5, beginning with verse uh, 78, curses were pronounced on those among the children of Israel who rejected faith. And by the tongue of David and of Jesus, the son of Mary, because they disobeyed and persisted in excesses. So this is the verse that Islamic ideology that is driving Hamas and all these terrorist organizations is this, is that it says in the Quran that Christians, right, and even Jesus produced curses upon Jewish people because the Jewish people are cursed. In the Hadith, in uh, Berkra, volume four, uh, book 52, verse 176, it says, you Muslims will fight the Jews till some of them hide behind stones. Then the stones will betray them, saying, uh, slave of Allah, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Kill him. This is exactly the words that were being said on university campuses over the last three weeks in the United States of America. They're hiding behind stones. They're hiding behind stones. I want you to notice something. I did not use the term radical Islam once. And there's a reason for that. Radical has a special meaning to it. It means people who are outside the mainstream, people who do, you know, they they take it too far. they're, They're just way out there. That's not what the mainstream about. I'm telling you now, there is no radical Islam. It's just Islam. And that's hard to hear. That's really hard to hear. A Pew Research just did a a, a survey about, oh, probably five or six years ago, and they found that 80% of all Muslims across the globe want Sharia law imposed on the country in which they live. 80%, 80% of the Muslims that live in the United States of America are demanding that we impose Sharia law. And Sharia law is that we are to kill Jews. We are to stone women who commit adultery or bring dishonor to your family. We are to stone and kill anybody who struggles with their gender identity or their sexuality. Ideology is always the first battleground. And when we don't recognize that, something happens and we go, how in the world did that happen? What happened on 9-11 in America was evil. What happened on October 7th in Israel was evil. And what happened in Afghanistan with the Taliban is evil. What Alexander Solzhenitsyn pointed out in his book in Russia was evil. This isn't a difference of opinion. How can you have a difference of opinion with someone who has an opinion that the only way we're going to have peace is when you're dead? There are no coexist bumper stickers in Islamic countries. They are not there. This is an ideology that is at war with any and all who disagree with them. A short history, a short reading of history proves this point to be true. 
There is a war, and this war is between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And when you understand the spiritual battlefield, it allows you to think clearly about this ideology without having to hate people or detest the people who propagate these ideologies. When you understand the spiritual battlefield that you're fighting in the realm of where it exists, that's how you can make the greatest difference. You don't have to be upset, angry, hateful, bigoted, or resentful to see that what Hamas did was evil. It was brutally evil. And this is exactly how we, as Foothills Christian Church, can stand strong in the face of this ideology, identify what it is, give you the tools to make up your own mind, and then at the same time, give Muslims food from our food pantry who need it. That's how we roll. Because this isn't about stereotyping or being angry towards people because our battle is not against people. It is a spiritual battle in the ideological realm against these lofty ideas that are brought up against the knowledge of God. My friends, whenever we look at the world and it gets so crazy out there, I just always remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 28. If I'm doing what I'm doing by the Spirit of God. If I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here right now. It has come upon you. And I will shout from the mountaintops, let it come, let it come, let it come. Let's stand for closing prayer. Jesus, you are the king. Amen. Try to make them all think I'm strong. Yeah, the face I keep pulling on says I ain't tired. But these tears stained eyes ain't lying. Cause hard, nobody told me life could be so hard. A weary soul with a worn out heart that's barely beat.
When the ground beneath my feet is shaking like a leaf, God, you're still good to me. When my hope is all but gone and I'm barely hanging on, God, you're still good to me. When my heart can't find a beat, when it's dark and I can't see, I will put my hope in. Promises endure. 